Hello, and welcome to the Development and Justice Podcast from the studios at Multnomah University in Portland, Oregon. This is Dr. Greg Birch, and I have the honor of hosting this unique podcast where we engage in faith-based discussions with thought leaders and practitioners who are really wrestling with the complexities of Christian action across the nexus of justice, development, and peace-building work. My role here at Multnomah is directing the graduate program in Global Development and Justice. You can find out more about our program by visiting us at multnomah.edu slash M-A-G-D-J. MAGDJ, that's our acronym. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent our host institution, Multnomah University. Thank you, Multnomah. And thanks for listening in on the podcast today. We're grateful that you are here joining us. Welcome to the Development and Justice Podcast, Charles and Alan. It's so great to have you both here and so glad that you were able to join me in the studios. Dr. Karen Fancher is here as well, hosting. Great to have you back in the studio, Karen. Great to be here. Charles, it's been some time since I saw you last. I was hoping to be back in Rwanda last year, but something got in the way, this thing called COVID-19, and it has deeply affected a lot of us. But it is so good to have you here in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Greg, thank you for the welcome. It's good to be back here. Alan, it's always great to see you. I don't see you enough, uh, even even with you living here in Portland, but it's really good to see you and have you guys on campus. It's great to be here, and I'm just grateful for Multnomah. Yeah. Hey, let, let me just formally introduce you both uh, to our listeners. I'll start with Dr. Charles Mugisha. Uh, along with his wife, Florence, they are both founders of Africa New Life Ministries based in Kigali, Rwanda. Dr. Mugisha is president of Africa New Life, and he is the lead pastor of New Life Bible Church in Kigali. I've, I have uh, worshipped with you in that church and deeply appreciate your ministry and oh, leadership. You're welcome again. <laughs> Both Charles and his wife Florence attended Multnomah University in the seminary, where they both earned their master's degrees. It was actually here at Multnomah in 2001, while you were pursuing your degree, that you wrote the ministry plan for Africa New Life. Maybe we'll get a chance to hear a little bit about that. That's a tremendous story. He also completed his doctorate through Gordon-Conwell Seminary in 2015, Alan Hotchkiss is also a graduate of Multnomah. He is the executive, U.S. Executive Director of Africa New Life. Alan graduated from Multnomah with his bachelor's degree in, of science, right, in biblical education in 1994. By the way, that's the same year I graduated, Alan, here at Multnomah. We were in classes together. I know, man. I know. I wish we could go back and I could, you know, dig deeper in that relationship we had. Uh, you, you know what? We, we have it now, though, so we're, we're okay. That's totally true. You also, and you actually, uh, you know, took it up a notch, and you graduated with your Master's of Arts in Pastoral Studies in 1998. Um, and I know you also, Alan, led church and community mobilization for the Luis Palau Association for a number of years as well. Love having you both here together with us on campus in the studio. You know I'm a fan of Africa New Life Ministries. Um, Africa New Life Ministries is one of the first ministry and organizations that we take our students to visit when we are with you in Kigali, Rwanda. And I uh, always appreciate learning from you. And uh, I feel like I'm a better follower of Christ because I've spent time with you in Rwanda. And love our relationship and our partnership together, working together on, on so many things. Uh, 
All right, let me jump into a few questions that I have for you both, if you don't mind. And, and I know Karen has some questions as well. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you ready? Uh, we'll try our best. All right, this is great. I'd like to start off by remarking on, on the harmony and, 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 well, let's just call it shalom that I see represented in your relationship with one another. I mean, Paul does exhort us, right, in Romans 12 to live at peace with everyone, right, if it is possible. Now, Karen Fancher, she needs to work on that a little bit. She's always... <laughs> I'll learn from you today. Okay. <laughs> She's always throwing stuff at me and yelling at me and so forth. But no, really, Karen, if you know Karen, you know how untrue that statement is. But, but you two have seemed, seemed to have really figured this out. Um, do you guys always really get along as well as I think you do? <laughs> what do you think? You know... Not always. <laughs> I mean, we are human beings, yeah, and we have our great moments and our low moments. But most of the times we do, most of the times we do. Mm. Don't you think so? Yeah, and I think it really comes down to mutual respect. And even I would use the term, and, and this is in the scriptures, it's, it's a, a mutual submission where we really recognize each other's strengths and, and also each other's lanes, and we try to honor those things. So, you know, my role is, is to lead here in the U.S., and Charles leads in Rwanda, and we're careful about that, and we also help each other in those areas, and then we've built a staff that helps us with that as well. I mean, I think that angst that comes, right, in a friendship or in a marriage when you wonder what your partner is doing, the question that we try to ask, I try to ask always is, help me understand first. Mm. Before I assume the worst, I assume the best. We assume the best about each other. It's one of our values at African New Life as, as a team that we assume the best about each other and we listen to each other first. Yeah, but I also think it's the established trust mm -hmm. between both of us. Um, and the established trust comes from shared experiences. And we have shared experiences, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm. We are all passionate about evangelism and the spreading of the kingdom of God. So to us, this is ministry. It's like having two pastors in a church working on two different continents mm -hmm. to build the kingdom of God. Well, I, I asked that question kind of jokingly, but, you know, in reality, I've, I've seen you two work together over the years. I've invited you into classes, and I've always um, just been deeply impacted by the relationship that I see and the, the mutual concern for one another and your ability to work together. So I wanted to highlight that. Yeah, I'm glad you did. I think partnerships are so crucial and learning from one another. And, and international ministry is not easy and working with various cultures. Um, so thank you. And I'd, I'd just like to come back to the basics. And Charles, just ask you, as you're working together, tell us more about the mission of African New Life. What are you seeking to accomplish in this endeavor? You know, the mission of African New Life from the beginning transforming lives and communities by preaching the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and the acts of compassion. And we, it all began when I was a student here at Multnomah. Remember Dr. Larry Ayers, uh, lady Dr. Larry Ayers and Dr. Tim Robnett. I was taking their management classes and I kept on sharing my vision from the mind, from the head, that this is what I want to do. Yeah. And I remember Dr. Tim saying, if you really want to do this, I want to work with you to write a, a strategic plan of how it would look like. Yeah. 
And for five months, see, all I did was to think through two things. How can we spread the gospel by preaching and teaching the truth and at the same time loving people and taking care of people and acting compassionately in the community? And as a result, we came, I came up with this statement of faith, a statement of, man, I'm going back to Dr. Frosty's classes, statements <laughs> of faith, uh, a mission statement that, you know, we're going to transform communities and you're going to preach the gospel. We are going to reach out to and act compassionately. Two hands of the gospel. Amen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Faith and love. Um, yeah. Word indeed. Yep. It's beautiful model. Thank you so much. Thank you. You know, uh, your story, Charles, it, it, it needs to be told, right? And I, I, I know you have spoken on another podcast. I'll be sure to point out those podcasts to our listeners because your story is, is truly amazing. I love listening to it every time I get the chance to, whether that be at one of the galas that you throw or, um, or time together in Rwanda. So I'll, I'll be sure to point that, those out. Um, this question is for both either you, uh, Charles, or Alan, um, or, or both of you, just not at the same time, right? Okay. <laughs> what is your vision for the future of Africa New Life Ministries? I mean, you have the Dream Center in Kigali. I've been there. The Africa School of Theology, uh, the New Life Christian Academy in Kayonsa. Uh, beautiful. I've been there as well. Uh, you know, a number of New Life Bible churches throughout the country. The Dream Medical Center, which you just inaugurated, I believe, in 2019. Did I get that right? Yep. Beautiful building, beautiful ministry. Um you know, the sponsorship program that you guys have, I think 10,500, 10,600 uh, young people are being cared for through that sponsorship program. The women's vocational programs, community gardens, which I absolutely love. Where does African New Life Ministries go from here? You know, African New Life Ministries evolves around three to four things. Faith, education, healthcare, and the women empowerment of recent, that's a new pillar we are really growing. And uh, our vision is to fill the hills of Rwanda with the churches that transform communities mm. in the name of Jesus by preaching the truth, but at the same time caring deeply for the needs of the community from education, to healthy care, and to women empowerment. Wow. And, and you mentioned the hills, and there's a lot of hills a in lot Rwanda. Hills. So yeah. um, I envision that taking many, many years as you continue to work in, in Rwanda. You know, it's beautiful. It's coming up very fast. We <laughs> thought it's going to take it forever, <laughs> but uh, we've laid out a plan for the entire nation. We've mapped out two locations. We put stars there. <laughs> we know where to go next uh, at a given moment. You know, vision comes out of uh, context, your location, and experience, right? So this is our 20th anniversary year for African New Life. And in that time, we've learned a lot of things. Uh, we've learned that if you invest in a child in a holistic way, in those four categories that Charles talked about, that th those children, as they come up and get their education and graduate from college and from high school, man, they are spread all over the country. They're in every sector in the nation, in the economy right now. And then if you add to that the gospel of Jesus Christ, where they can trust Jesus deeply, mm -hmm. then they have a center 
for all that they've learned. And it's amazing to see what they've done. And then we've also seen in the context of Rwanda that um, there's been a challenge with the churches there in that many of them were closed a few years ago because of structural issues, because the government wanted to make sure it was safe for people to be able to attend a church and not, not get hurt, ultimately. And so with that, we've learned that we can, because of our partners here in the U.S., all across the U.S., including many Multnomah alumni that are out there, mm-hmm. um, we can partner together to build churches that, that are solid, that'll last for 100 years, ultimately. Wow. And so our, 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 our biggest goal, ultimately, we're in about eight communities right now. We planted eight churches that are meaningful churches. And around that, we do child sponsorship. We do women's empowerment. Uh, we provide health care. So that's the context of really the communities that we build. So we're in eight right now, and our goal is to be in 24 in the next five years. And so actually, for those of you who are listening, especially if you're pastors, you're part of a church, we'd love to talk to you about partnering with us to take the gospel further into Rwanda. And the thing is, when you're talking about thousands of churches being closed, those are predominantly small, rural, village churches, you know, mud kind of buildings, those aren't going to reopen. And so what you have now is a whole large swath of Rwanda where there are not significant churches where people can go. So we want to meet that need with churches that are that are built well and where the gospel is preached and it's in a healthy way. That's where Africa College of Theology, which is like a mirror to Rwanda or to Multnomah, really, frankly, comes in. So the pastors in those churches have got the education and they're solid in terms of how they teach. You know, you talk about church partnerships. I'm, I'm a part of the Grace Chapel church in Wilsonville and I've seen that relationship, uh, a long-term partnership kind of develop and uh, exciting to see, see, you know, as we move forward. In fact, you'd be happy to know that Grace Chapel, as they were building their building, they, they are also working with us and they've worked with us in four communities to plant churches yeah they i know they were committed to if they were going to build a building they were going to do so in such a way that works in partnership with african new life and 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 uh, support whatever they could uh with your ministries i want to encourage you to to really uh, to our listeners to take a look at the africa new life ministry website um africanewlife.org if you want to get into the different ministries that i've mentioned there's lots of them there's uh probably many more that we could talk about um but any anything else when it comes to thinking of your vision um and what you you plan to do it sounds like to me that you you plan to continue to impact rwanda where mm-hmm. god has called you to to plant your 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 uh your feet and um continue to do what you've been doing but in a way that has a, a greater impact among um, even additional populations. Yes, it is to scale up the vision. Mm. For the last 20 years, we have come to experiment the whole idea of the gospel of two hands, or the two hands of the gospel, which is the great commission and the great commandment, uh, the deeds mm-hmm. and in truth, mm-hmm. And we found out that that actually produces an incredible impact in the community and it becomes a foundation for community development. Mm. That's great. Um, Alan, I'd like to ask you a question, kind of switching gears a little bit when it comes to thinking about the tension that we sometimes have felt in mission um, and ministry, uh, especially between 
uh, the Westerners working in on you know in in African context. Um, lately, I've been hearing quite a few podcasts and certainly have been reading the new humanitarian uh, you know publications. Has been talking a lot about colonial issues and uh, decolonizing humanitarian responses to needs that are felt around the world. How is your team here in the U.S. Thinking about and guarding against using power and the, the obvious resources that uh, we have here in the United States to ensure that the work on the ground is truly localized and led by the c- local community. I might, I might know the answer to this question, but uh, I'd love to hear directly from you both. You know, context, again, is very important. And we had a tremendous advantage going in. And it was this. Pastor Charles was here at Multnomah himself when the ministry started and he invited all of us to follow him to Rwanda and he proved to be uh, wise about finances and being willing to work on on that area in an American way really Uh, but really like what I would say is as an American I think there are many organizations that are led by Americans and and then they have staff that work for them in Rwanda African life is truly a cooperative Mm. we are a partnership our role here is, you know, financial accountability, combining to support the vision, uh, even performance, you know, making sure that we're headed down the road in the right way. But ultimately, Pastor Charles is the leader in Rwanda, and uh, and, the, and our staff is Rwanda is, is, is far more competent to be able to, to meet the needs and address them than we ever could in the U.S. and to think creatively about being able to do that. I think, I think a lot of it just comes down to, frankly, to you've got to decide as an American that you are not exceptional. I don't know how else to put it. Let's just, let's just get right to it. In the end, we are human beings that God has called to serve. But what we've done, I think, is just humbled ourselves and said, you know what, we're, he's, these guys know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And our job is to make sure that financially it's all working right and all those kinds of things. But the bottom line is, in our wildest imagination, uh, we couldn't possibly have accomplished in Rwanda ourselves if we'd gone there and lived there. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be missionaries, but what I'm saying is for us, Pastor Charles was here, and that made it easy. Okay. I, I'm wondering, and, and Charles, I certainly want to ask you uh, about that issue as well, and I, I'm sure we have we would you know want to, want to hear from you about that. Do you ever run, Alan, into situations where you might, uh, you know, folks that are out there that you are in relationship with, um, that that kind of take on that savior complex that we're really trying to reduce that speaks into colonial and how do you address that issue with them? I think even in our own history, uh, when I joined uh, the board of African Life in 2006, our videos, for instance, were uh, primarily surrounding the concept of a, a family or a few families here in America and how they had gotten involved with Rwanda. And I think there was a picture of you, Charles, in them, but it was really about you know, us. Mm-hmm. And so we made an intentional shift in all of our marketing. If you look at what we do with African New Life, in every aspect of what we do, you don't see much, um, you don't see many Americans. It's really about Rwanda and about our leadership in Rwanda. And and, and you can smell colonialism immediately mm-hmm. in conversations. Here's, here's how I hear it. Um, there's nobody in our country that can handle the finances without stealing. There's oh. no leaders that have the ability to, to, for me to hand this off to. I just can't trust anyone here. That sounds like a colonialist mentality. Mm-hmm. It's not true. 
And so what I do when I hear that is I just confront it and say, I, I think you need to rethink what you're saying and how you position yourself and how you view yourself in God's kingdom. Wow. Oh, that's really helpful. Thank you. Charles, uh, do you ever see these or feel these tensions uh, these around imperialism, colonialism, and mission or humanitarian circles? And and what? how do you advise you know those of us who are Westerners in the United States and, and other parts, um, you know, who are feeling a nudge to really support and get involved in different global South projects. Uh, but what are your warnings or cautions? You know, we've been through this. We've seen it. And thank you for asking that question. Uh, the uniqueness of African New Life, to go back to African New Life, it was African people from Rwanda starting African New Life Ministries. Mm-hmm. And through friendships in America and our presence in America, we developed the partnership. And at the same time, with African New Life, we've been able to learn to communicate, to be able to communicate our feelings. Alan will tell you clearly, many, many times I'll tell him we don't want that. Mm. Clearly, with no fear. And not only me, but even my staff. They've been able to learn to say, no, we don't want that. This is how we do it, and we're not going to do it that way. That has taken a process of maturity and confidence in ourselves that this is God's work, and we're going to do it God's way within our own context. Mm-hmm. And like Alan say, the biggest challenge is how things start. Obviously, if the mission was started by an American missionary, it's going to take that missionary great wisdom to be able to turn it around and hand it to the local people. Obviously, the greatest concern for Westerners is accountability. And not just verbal accountability, but clearly documented accountability. And the weakness of the African partners has been, for many years, documented accountability. So someone may have a good heart, may be righteous, may be faithful, but it doesn't have documented accountability. And from a Western point of view, that doesn't work. So what we've done is to actually grow to understand each other, that they understand us, but we also understand the needs in terms of accountability. So, for example, African New Life Ministries is audited by Ernest and Young, KPMG, uh, the big audit firms. So, in, that's in, in Rwanda, in Rwanda. So, we're audited here, but in Rwanda, Ernst and Young audits African New Life, and our board gets that audit. Got I it. mean, and it's expensive. And but it's worth it. But it's worth it. But before that, all throughout the year, they, we agree on budget C, we agree on report C, we agree on project C. We've created project planning uh, systems and rules, and we're using project planning science mm-hmm. uh, to be able to satisfy each other. Westerners love science, <laughs> and we are learning to, to think scientifically, which is actually good for us. I'll give you an example, when I was starting African Life Ministries, putting together a strategic plan for the ministry, that plan which I wrote while I was here, is a, it was a key plan to get African New Life Ministries registered in Rwanda, because the government would look at the document and say, you guys know what you want to do, mm-hmm. because most of the times, governments are very scientific, 
and projects and regular people and churches are not. So when you come in with that high level of doing your work with integrity, the government will appreciate you, your donors will appreciate you, and community will appreciate you. And African New Life has learned to do that. Mm. And then Portland has also learned to follow in Rwanda, which is a beautiful journey. Right. You've seen that. I sure have. Now, that doesn't mean we've not had times where <laughs> we say we have to change. But you know, the beauty is, I think I'm a very independent um, thinking personality. I'll tell you how I feel and what I think is right or wrong. Some kind of reformation. You know, and we've worked really hard together to respect each other. Uh the natural thing when you're two different cultures, you're going to miss each other, even if you're using the same words. So we, we, we spend a lot of time, we have a joint leadership council that meets uh, sometimes weekly and every, mm-hmm. other, every other week. And we've done that for 14 years. That takes time. It's two, three hours to do that. And, and when it's interesting at this point, when, when we have something where we don't agree, where it's not clear that it's, uh, that there's a clear unanimity that's come and there's a clear peace about it, we agree not to move forward. So, and this has happened a number of times on a number of issues where it's clear on one side or the other, this is, it just doesn't feel quite right. And so we don't force it. We wait until we can come to agreement or we adjust it to make that work and that's really served us well yeah it is and you know the use of technology is beautiful right now in the old days you had to send a fax and wait for another fax to return later now with emails more than email zoom and you can communicate more often i mean we have meetings between two offices, Kigali and Rwanda, more often visibly. I go to sleep and, call before, and just before I go to sleep, I call Alan over something and he calls me. So the whole technology is also helping us to clarify our communication and to be able to communicate more frequently. I think also we have really made it a, a, really a policy not to hire Americans in Rwanda. So we don't have Americans teaching in our schools. We have a few experts, people like Dr. G, who was here at Multnomah, that, that at the time we, we needed his help, that kind of thing. But, but really, like that, we've been careful about that because the competency is there. Sometimes it takes longer to get to where you need to go in that sense. The hospital is another example. We had a number of doctors that would have been happy to move to Rwanda and take over that hospital. And we said, no way. And you know what? This last year, 53,000 people and 663 babies were born at that hospital. They're profitable. They know what they're doing. And I can tell you in that process that as Americans, with our exceptional mentality, it was hard to let Pastor Charles lead that process and to find the right people to lead and to humble ourselves and let that happen. But you know, the scripture says, God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before his mighty hand, and in his proper time, he'll lift you up. Yeah, wow. and clearly we're not saying that Westerners should not be involved in the transformation of communities on the ground. I think there's room for very specialized leaders to provide training, but they need to be trained to come in in such a way that they are going to honor what has been done yeah. and honor the leaders in the community 
and work out to a mutual relationship. Wow. You guys, I really deeply appreciate you sharing. And, and I, I see the relationship not only here in the studio, but, but through your work. And it, it sounds like the bottom line is really this mutual relationship of, of trust and working together. And there's been so many conversations out there in the field of uh, international development work about localization as a result of the pandemic that, that we've gone through. Um, and, and what I love seeing with African New Life, it, that, that's, it's been about localization efforts since the very beginning. Yep. And I think that has really kind of um, set you apart in, in many ways. Yeah, thank you so much. It's so good to hear your shared values and your mutual respect and how that's shaped all that you've done, as well as your consecration to God. You you have such incredible impact in so many ways. And we've been talking about the ministry, but I would like to just hear a little bit about what sustains you as you continue to take on projects. This can be exhausting. It can be challenging. You face legal and um, perhaps spiritual and um, cultural dynamics that can propose challenges. So as you seek to shine the light of Christ and hope in challenging places, what keeps you going? And what does soul care look like for each of you? How do you sustain this hope and life and this capacity to continue to have this impact? You know, clearly, both of us understand that this is a call from God. This is not a job. It's not just a job. It's a job we are called to do by God. And I think our theology and our biblical um, foundations uh, help us to form that as a call, not just a career we take on in development or ministry. Um, number two, for personally, I am... Um, I thank God for my wife. Yeah. I think she holds me accountable in many ways to keep my Sabbath, which I try to do my best. I, most of my soul care is very traditional. Uh, it's fasting, it's praying, it's spiritual disciplines. Even while I was here, I told Alan, you know, you're going to be able to get me at this hour, but this morning I need some time alone to be able to take care of myself. Uh, otherwise, if I don't have that care for my soul through prayer, through reading scripture, through learning, through silence and meditation, uh, it gets very hard. And sometimes I just take off a period and say for this period of seven days, I'm just going to focus on myself, my relationship with God. Because much, much of our, our stress uh, and burnout is first and foremost inner before it becomes external. So if you can work on keeping your inner soul, your inner man in place and keep him fed through a private relationship with the Lord and all the spiritual disciplines, not from a legalistic point of view, but from a point of hungering after God, a God, I need you more than anything, you are the basis of the calling, and only through you I can find strength for continuity because it can be exhausting. These are now 20 years of doing African New Life Ministries. I, I think the... Uh, we've talked about this before, Charles. Um, I would never want 
anyone to say, well, that's what they're saying in this podcast, but we know the truth. You know, they're not really Christians <laughs> in how they actually operate. In the end, uh, we have to stand before Jesus Christ. I mean, literally, I remember Dr. G said it to me one time. He said, you know, I just think about that, and, and I've been thinking about it ever since. One of these days, I'm going to meet Jesus face to face, and I'm going to see him. And even now, we get to see all these kids. I, wanna, I don't want any of them to be, to, to be harmed because of something that I do. Uh, and I wouldn't want anyone here in the States to say, to, to, to have us as an obstacle. So there's that issue for me. The local church here, I live in America. I spend most of my time here. And then we serve Rwanda and we travel to Rwanda. And the ministry in Rwanda is led by a church. It's not a nonprofit organization. It's a religious organization. And African New Life is the compassionate arm, really, of the church. New Life Bible Church in Rwanda. So there's that aspect. But for me personally, um, I'm under the authority of East Hill Church here in Portland. I mean, my pastor, I, I text with him almost every day. It drives him crazy. You can ask him. He likes it too. I actually think. PK, <laughs> if you're listening, right? But the bottom line is... Like, I lead two men's groups here at East Hill, my home church. Um, my life has been shaped, and my, my character has been changed because I'm a part of that church, and I submit and listen to their leadership. And it protects me, and it helps me with my family, helps me be a better dad and a better husband. And my wife will tell you that that's true. Yeah, thank you so much. And that humility to seek God, that humility to need the local church, not this independence, which I think can sometimes mark those who want to be in development. And, and I think the capacity that you've been given has come from God. So thank you so much. Thank you. We're so grateful to have had this chance to talk to Charles and Alan. I know you have a plane to catch. Yep, um, do. Thank you so much for joining us uh, on the podcast. Thank you all for joining us today as we dialogue on these critical topics around the nexus of development, justice, and peace-building work.